Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. State of the Empire is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. And is brought to you in part by Consequence of Sound, the web's foremost source of music and film news, reviews, and insights. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to State of the Empire, Nerdy Show's Star Wars speculation podcast, where we look for news in Alderaan places. Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Doug. Hey, I'm Matt. And in this episode, well, this is the episode right before the release of Rogue One. Woo! Oh, oh man, it's been a long time leading up to this, and we're all pretty fucked up with excitement, I think. Well, there's been lots of ups and downs. Uh, I remember like when we saw the first teaser at Celebration, uh, it was like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. And then a whole lot of nothing after that. And it's like, oh, why are they not showing enough stuff? And then they show a little bit more stuff. And you're like, oh, this is looking pretty good. This looks really nice. First teaser, official teaser. And then you see that they're uh, doing some reshoots. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> and you start to really think maybe there's something wrong happening. But then you don't hear anything for a while. But then you get another official trailer. You're like, oh, my God, it looks amazing again. And then you're saying, okay, well, this is mostly the same stuff. You get international trailer. So it's... We we we've we've been run through the ringer and uh, uh, but based on some of the new stuff we're seeing, I think we're about to talk about now some new new clips and stuff. I mean, at, yeah, at this point we've absorbed so many clips for this film. Um, I feel like we've already seen ten minutes of it. Yeah, we we've gotten like a year's worth of marketing in the last like seventy two hours. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's true. That's true. So in addition to talking about Rogue One and what we know about the film going into it, we're also going to be talking about uh, new rumors revolving around Episode Eight, Parental Lineages, um, the the crazy happenings of Star Wars Rebels and their uh, mid season break, uh, some cool book stuff, and um, well. If this is your first time here, don't worry, because if it's super sensitive and we think it might ruin your film-going experience, we're putting it behind the blast doors. That's the thing that happens uh, later on in the show. So you can listen to it from now on to a point where we will clearly denote that we're going to open those blast doors, and uh, then all bets are off. So uh, if, you, if you stick around, that's, that's your own damn fault. All right, so there have been 20-minute-long screenings of Rogue One. There's been full screenings of the film already. George Lucas has seen the film. He called up Gareth Edwards and said, hey, pal. I think this is really great, <laughs> which he didn't say about Force Awakens necessarily. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, at least he didn't say that publicly afterwards. Yeah, I think George is a smart guy, and uh, he wouldn't be <laughs> he wouldn't be the kind of guy that just goes, "Oh yeah, you know, it's pretty good, you know, pretty good." I guess. Say, well, they're white slavers, so pretty good for white slavers. <laughs> I mean, like, well, well, after Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, uh, Shia got into some hot water with Steven Spielberg when he was like, "Oh man, Steven kind of dropped," you know, we all kind of dropped the ball on that. And Steven Spielberg later came out and said, you know, there's a time to sell movies and there's a time to sell cars, you know. <laughs> and, and if anybody should know how to sell some cars, it's Shia LaBeouf. He was in Transformers. Yeah, I, w I wonder if that was a backhanded compliment uh, about uh, having to sell cars. <laughs> I want to believe that George actually liked it. I mean, uh, 
George, we all know, is a big fan of the World War II action films, and this very much plays into that. I mean, really, if anything, Gareth was, was playing to George in, in this case. Since our last episode uh, about a month ago, and we're, we're, we're sorry it's been so long, this is a busy time of year, um, we've seen flashback sequences, we've seen an incredible X-Wing uh, dogfight in the orbit of Scarif. We've seen fighting on the streets of Jeddah. We've seen the Death Star devastate Jeddah. That was just... that. W- I think we might have put that behind the spoiler spoiler wall last time, but surprise, surprise. That's, that's that, in the trailers it's, now. It's in every trailer now. And it's terrifying. Yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going in with the assumption that every single one of these planets is blowing up in this movie at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's just safe to assume. And at this point, we've also seen so many trailers, it's really hard to recommend just one to check out if you haven't been following all of them. But I would say international trailer number four is a pretty hot item. So I'm going to be linking that on this yep. episode's page. Yeah. It's crazy the amount of, they're up to 30 TV spots. I remember, because like the, the prequel TV marketing, they did very specific like character campaigns that like sometimes had unique dialogue and like they only would do like four. And like they would just run those all the time. And like Disney's approach for Rogue One has been so far to date thirty different cuts of TV spots, which is insane. Yeah, and and fortunately for State of the Empire, these different cuts have shown us a lot of weird stuff that we can pick out of the background. Yeah, and I, I almost wish it was less. Oh, I absolutely wish it was less. Those character spots for the prequels were like some of the best stuff from the prequels. Yeah, they were like uh, tone poems. Yep. <laughs> and you know George and his know. poems. It's like uh, poetry. Yeah, and uh, in the last month, we've also gotten two different uh, 360, poten- not not necessarily VR, but could be VR experiences. They're VR if you want them to be, um, including one that might be canonical to the film, like a scene. Uh, we'll, we'll link to it. It's a video of an X-Wing squadron accidentally happening upon the first Death Star while it's in construction. This is the first the Rebels have experienced it at all. And you basically from a first-person perspective, watch your team get annihilated, and then you die. The uh, Battlefront VR mission may also be canonical. Oh, yeah. Matt, I mean, this is... We're going to talk about video games a little bit later, but you've you've done this. Why don't you take this... Tell us us about it right now, because I want to hear all about it. So so you play a brand-new X-Wing pilot uh, who's piloting Red 4, and they're kind of like, you know, you're with the fleet, and they're kind of, you know, just doing a patrol and, you know, bickering with one another as Rebels typically do over the comm and then eventually you get a distress call from um basically it's k2 so sending in a distress call from whatever planet that they're liberating a person of interest from which i assume is Jin Urso because they keep referring to she or her and uh so you you go to hyperspace to go you know help the ship out and there's you know it's kind of in an asteroid field and you find the U-Wing in the asteroid field, and then the Empire shows up, and you got to, like, you know, defend the U-Wing while they make their hyperspace coordinates. And K2, it's not Alan Tudyk's voice, but it's very funny. And, um, you know, eventually you escape. But they keep on, you know, they keep mentioning, like, or mentioning, like, oh, I hope, I hope she's worth it. I hope, you know. So it's, it's apparent to me this kind of takes place in between, like, what appears to be the liberation of Jin from prison in the beginning of the movie that they've shown in some of the trailers and actually getting her to the rebel fleet. I don't think you'll see this in the movie, but there's the canonical possibility that they ran into some trouble with a star destroyer on the way out of that planet. Cool. And, and how, how was the VR? Was it quality? Oh, it's awesome. I mean, it's just, I, it's, I, I, 
I, I wish they hadn't have used Battlefront's controls because they're not very in-depth. Like, I would rather have had a, a version where you use the PlayStation Move controllers, which, you know, they try to encourage developers to use because, you know, you have actual, like, tracking your hand movements instead of just having a, a controller in front of you. But, you know, and, like, be able to actually, like, use one like a joystick, use the other one to actually, like, you know, press a button to activate your shields on the controls. So, so unfortunately, it's just a lot of... You know, you're you're in the X-wing cockpit and you're using the normal battlefront controls, but there really is a very special feeling when all of a sudden you hear something like above you and you look up, you know, through your canopy and you see a giant Imperial Star Destroyer has just hyperspaced in above you and is deploying Tie Fighters as as their you know things are going on. Like it's very cool. That's awesome. So, Spill, was this like? on rails in any way or do you actually no, no, no. free fly it's it's the it's the standard uh space or sp- standard uh flight mode mm-hmm. that it normally has you just are now controlling it from a first person perspective in a cockpit so nice. you're holding the playstation controller flying it like normal hmm. and you're just in the cockpit is it they but, don't have any joystick compatibility by any chance uh no because it's just it's just playstation right. So that's what I mean. Like, if you, if they had the controls changed so that you were using the move controllers, you probably could have some sort of joystick type situation going on. But with a move, but, you could like literally move your hand behind your head, and it wouldn't track it right. Like, if, you know, like you you'd have, you'd, you have too much freedom with a move with a move controller. Well, yeah. I mean, I think you know there might need to be some sort of like accessory to like you know keep it in place, essentially make it a joystick. Mm-hmm. I suppose. Um. That'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, there's there's limitations to every VR headset that's come out so far, as far as controllers are concerned. Uh, but I think I think it was pretty effective overall, though, and I'm makes me really excited about the possibilities in the future. Like, I want a full, like, real in-depth flight sim in VR, specifically Star Wars. That'd be cool as hell. Mm-hmm. Bring back X-wing versus Tie Fighter. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, like, after many failed attempts to do so, it would be good if they just fucking did it. Mm -hmm. Um, The other 360-degree experience was showcasing the immersive sets used in the film, uh, particularly the Jetta battle sequences. And it is actually really impressive. Like, they they didn't, you know, so many times you'll see on a set, well, you you know, you build the front of the set and uh, the rest of it isn't there. But this is really, they built the whole damn thing and... There's a lot of detail. There's a lot of stuff that's just never, ever going to show up in the final edit of the film. Which actually kind of makes me, from a filmmaking perspective, a little worried about the movie, especially some of the clips we've seen where the editing seemed very hectic. And I feel that's just because they don't really have an idea going in. They're like, just film like from three, four different locations. And they even said, like, you get to pick up on things that you wouldn't like have planned for. And then just when they piece them together, it just doesn't seem very fluid so far. And like the battle clips that are, you know, more ground based in the trailer. But, you mean? Yeah. Like the, well, some of the clips, like um, for instance, the, the, the one that I want to say debuted on Fallon with Jin fighting off the stormtroopers. It, the editing is just all over the place. Like I, very hard for me to figure out like where exactly Cassian Andor is in relation to, um, to Jin. And like it's it's and I think it's because they're they're filming from so many different places so f- fluidly like I'm, that they're just kind of like well, we'll edit it later we're not going to worry about like how this is going to play out shot wise. I'm until... not convinced that these full scenes that we've seen are actually full scenes. Yeah, I... which I, I've 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 contemplated as well, but I, it makes me wonder because you know the 
the music seems to match up, which is why I wonder if it is. Mm, fair point. Fair point. Uh, you know, I guess maybe, but just uh, until we see it, we don't know. This could have been yeah. something that was even done just for. Well, and also Ger- Gareth Edwards in that EW thing about the Jetta sequence. I mean, he even he even said it. He said, you know, I just we have camera people, you know, running around throughout the scene and they're picking up things that the extras wouldn't, you know, they didn't necessarily plan on. So like it's just it's very we'll figure it out in post how it'll be edited. And I think it's weird. Like it's, it's an approach to filmmaking that is more common nowadays that I don't particularly care for. Well, I think I don't particularly care for is that they gave Jenna Baton to fight stormtroopers. <laughs> like I guess I guess the idea is that she doesn't have a weapon. You know, she, they showed a scene where she steals a blaster. Right, and, but and they but gave I, it to her. But I don't I don't get how it you're fighting stormtroopers. I, I it's it's a toy to sell. Yeah, it's, it's a toy to it's, sell. It's, but, it's Ray's it's Ray's staff. It's you know, it's her thing. Why and it's just, just give her a yeah. gun. <laughs> you know, like why the fuck yeah. does she she ha- because it has well, to be non lethal because they're the good guys. Gun 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 toy sales are, are understandably taboo these days. It's hard to, you know, Oh, it's just so dumb. Just just the idea of just stormtroopers. There's like five stormtroopers down a hallway. First of all, none of them can hit her. But then she just comes out without a gun and just walks up to them close. She's close enough to touch them and they can't shoot her. That's the mm-hmm. thing. I don't. That's the only thing I didn't really care for. It was an exciting sequence. You know, I like the music. Yeah, but it's it just, is. I just, she's walking up to a stormtrooper and beating him over the head. He has a helmet on. like, And she's able to beat him over the head and it hurts him that he falls over unconscious. I don't get it. Unless there's like electricity somehow involved in the baton. I don't know. But all all valid points. Um and I should add, you know, you're gonna hear from us real soon in uh less than a week, you're yeah. gonna hear from us again. Um our post film review will be out basically as soon as possible. We got a East Coast and a West Coast team here, and that means that it's super difficult to sync up. Last time we did it at what, three AM Eastern, and uh mm-hmm. we vowed never again. Yeah. So it's gonna be <laughs> It's going to be Friday morning instead or something. Sometimes, I guess, you, Doug, you got work. So yeah, Friday no. afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> Which means... Which I think that, that Friday afternoon is when I'm seeing the movie a second time. <laughs> so we got to... Obviously, we got we got to figure this out. So maybe check back with us on Saturday. We should have something like that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and maybe maybe next time we'll figure out how to be all in the same place. But that's, that's a little bit expensive. So, you know, help fund State of the Empire on Patreon, and maybe we can talk about that. Or if you want to give us a donation to because you love State of the Empire so much, hey, we can talk about that, too. Um, you'll find everything you need at nerdyshow.com slash support. This is an unplanned plug, but why not? Maybe you're <laughs> filthy rich, and maybe you want to hear us talk about Star Wars. Maybe you want us to go see the movie with you and want to pay for all of us to be where you are. Okay. Hey, man, that sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> so here's some things we do know about Rogue One, and this is an interesting checklist because it's not one I necessarily expected to be doing. Characters to watch out for in the background. We have no idea how much screen time any of this stuff is going to get, but we've seen enough to indicate there's going to be either some cool background characters that uh, are new or some characters that uh, you know that are there. For starters, uh, Rex, who you might remember from intermittent episodes of state of the empire who's always with us when we do our film reviews he spotted in a trailer the ghost from star wars rebels in a big multi-ship assault of scarif which by the way they they've been pronouncing it scarif on uh the dlc for battlefront okay then scarif yep didn't expect that (laughs) 
well, yeah. So it's a, we've got we've got a screenshot we can show you, but I mean, like it's when else have you seen that ship type anywhere? It's mm-hmm. got a, there's no one else it could be. Are we gonna hear uh, characters, you know? talking chatter from rebels yeah like if they're if they're if they're getting into attack formation you hear like red two standing by red three standing by red four standing by you you hear Hera go ghost one standing by you know just like that'd be like so fucking cool just to get this voice actor in there just i i was actually thinking like would it be crazier to see some actual live action actors standing around the the conference table that all the rebels are around I've, like I'd just be a quick peek surprised. at Freddie Prince Jr. looking like Kanan. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool, but I'd be really surprised if they just went full out. I mean, I'd be shocked too, but it would be awesome. It it would it would be awesome. It would indeed be awesome. Um, then that I, th- I think Freddie Prince would would probably do that for free. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that SAG wouldn't let him, but no, yeah, I'm sure that he would. He would he'd be willing to. He's cool. <laughs> Uh, there's a new character called Admiral Raddus, who's a darker-hued Moncal who you've probably seen uh, in some of the shots. And uh, he's interestingly, they modeled him after Winston Churchill in both look and performance. And the uh, designers also admitted to, to taking inspiration from Bell Lugosi, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Ernest Borgnine, Lee Van Cleef, and Peter Lorre, uh, but didn't say who was who in so far as the creature design specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't we've I don't know that we've seen any of those characters, so some new faces to keep an eye out for. There is a charity video that was made on the set of Rogue One for Assert, which is a group helping people with Angelman syndrome. Um, we'll link to the video where you can check it out and learn more about that disorder and the charity. But in that video, there's some revealing shots that uh, suggest that we might be seeing Biggs Darklighter and Jack Porkins at least amongst the uh, original Death Star Killer Squadron. Um, which is pretty cool. If they're there, maybe Wedge is there too. Hmm. Um, and also in this video were some pans over some hand-carved starships and droids, which it's assumed might be uh, Young Jin's toys from the flashback. Which, if so, they're they're kind of neat and an interesting background detail. I can't imagine it'll be focused on probably, mm-hmm. but but another cool thing to look out for in in the background. Um, now here's something. It could be complete bullshit. It comes from a site that I have no experience with whatsoever. It's called Furious Fanboys, and they've heard from a source that there's two Gungans on set during the briefing scene at the Rebel base. <laughs> I'd be really surprised. One of them. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'm. I'm hoping for it. What would Gareth want on the set? Would he? Would he want two Gungans? I think he'd be okay with it. He might. He doesn't seem like he doesn't seem like a. Well, now the question a, a, is, a is, is is it is it two random Gungan Gungans? No, but that's the thing. One of them is Maybe. apparently looks a lot like Jar Jar. Yeah. Um. And here's here's some other thing. Like this this maybe substantiates the presence of these Gungans. If in fact, um, this is a real thing. It's all, it was also rumored that Oliver Ford Davies, who played the Naboo Governor Sue uh, Bibble was on set for one day and was with these Gungans. They don't believe there's any lines, but they could be there in a shot, creating the implication of what's long been discussed in the expanded universe circles about Jar Jar, the fact that he was responsible for putting Palpatine in charge, and the fact that he might feel fucking awful about that. Mm. Now, I don't want 
prequel stuff cluttering up the stories and so on, but I do want Star Wars to work and be cohesive. So like it or not, the prequels are there, and much like Saw Gerrera's inclusion in this film, you know, uh, it's good to have a living, working universe, and Jar Jar Binks, a prominent character in the series, uh, catastrophically fucked up, and we don't know what happened to him. So sooner or later, that story is going to come out, and maybe the start of it is here. And oh, then, give, just just bring it on. I mean, I, I love it. I love I love res, like well thought out prequel connective tissue to like make this a transition movie. And that's I, you know I always need, need more ammo for my uh, <laughs> why for, why for my Jar Jar better better than Chewie. Like, <laughs> well, right there, you can go ahead and say that uh, he joined he joined the rebellion before Chewie. Yeah. Chewie was what well, Chewie was enslaved and he didn't even join the rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> Became a drug dealer. Or at least working for one. There's one other character um that uh, is pr- probably pretty major in the film at least in a couple scenes and we've discussed this character's appearance in Rebels or, sorry in Rogue One before um but because of the closest to the film's release, because this could be considered a spoiler at this juncture, um, we're going to talk about that behind the spoiler wall. Um, but basically, there was a, a recent Anthony Bresnikin article on Entertainment Weekly that basically, uh, it more or less confirmed something that we said months and months and months ago about a certain technological advancement that would allow for a certain character to be in this film. Now, uh, the movie might not have any opening titles, but something interesting we have learned is that when it cuts to a new planet, it does tell you where you are in the bottom right corner mm-hmm. of the screen, which is another another thing to watch out for. And uh, Scarif, uh, we got some new details on Scarif, and that is that it's Krennic's main base of operations, actually, which I didn't, I didn't realize. Um, it's a major hub for the Empire's military-industrial complex, and it's a top-level site for research, structural engineering, munitions, and manufacturing which is why it's not just it's not just the Death Star plans. It's like a major operations center, and that's why it's sur- the entire planet is surrounded by a shield. Mm-hmm. That's a weird environment to be in. That, like you know, primarily water with like some islands dotted around. Like it's basically an entire planet that's like the Maldives. Like I don't know. That that seems weird. Well, it could be if they're mining something out of the water there. You know, oh, maybe it's unique to the planet or a type of uh, metal or something that's uh, under the surface. That's true. It's a good point. It's a good point indeed. Now, on the Star Wars Spoilers Facebook group, a little uh, little side operation we run, uh, Stephen Peckham point out, pointed out a Pablo Hidalgo tweet featuring a screenshot of the Death Star meeting room scene from A New Hope saying, an important scene worth a rewatch in the coming weeks for several reasons. And Stephen said, Trixie Pablo, I just noticed there's an empty chair there. Is it Krennix? Also, this makes me wonder if it's Tag's fleet that's at Scarif during the Rebel attack. Which could be all very hmm. cool. Yeah. Like, I, I do fully expect to watch this film and come home and want to watch A New Hope immediately afterwards. Yeah, I mean, if you li- think about the lines from there, it's like, the Rebellion's, uh, they're more dangerous than you realize. Like, dangerous to your fleet, Admiral, not this battle station. It's like, ooh, <laughs> sick burn, you know, like, because of, of something that may have happened, you know, and... Yeah, a lot, lot reading into those lines. It'll be it'll be a lot of fun. It's pretty cool. I I I I think I think that Steven's dead on there. 
Um, now, there's another another thing leading to a bunch of new information about Rogue One, and that's the novel Star Wars Catalyst, Matt, which you've read all of. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about that behind the spoiler wall, because that's all real sensitive information. Yeah. Um, but we can lift the veil on some interesting stuff, which is that, uh, you know, Lucasfilm's been pretty hush-hush about basically everything ever since the Disney sale. But now that it's been a year uh, since the relaunch, they're loosening up and sharing a bit more on what went on in those first couple years. Um, there was an interview with Kathleen Kennedy in particular that uh, shed light on a lot of stuff. For example, uh, in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, Kathleen Kennedy shared that during one of the first conversations she had with Lucas, he pitched her on the notion of the standalone films and had written down three or four thoughts and ideas of possible directions, which she elaborated on that so far they haven't done any of them. Mm-hmm. Young Han Solo is not among those George Lucas ideas. Um, she said, we talked a lot about the Jedi and the foundational ideas that George had thought about when he crafted the mythology, which is interesting. If they choose to pull from that, maybe George was saying like, well, maybe you could do like some Knights of the Old Republic stuff. <laughs> That'd be interesting. And an Obi-Wan film. <laughs> now, that wouldn't surprise me, but we'll talk no. about that real soon. He's like, well, it all started on Willow's planet. <laughs> <laughs> Really, George? Oh, yeah, I was supposed to go way back. <laughs> it's called, you know, Journal of the Wills, as in Willow wrote it, you know? <laughs> um, so we've basically been treating the Boba Fett film as though it was a confirmed thing that was going to happen. Turns out, yeah, we were right in doing that. Um, Kathleen Kennedy owned up to the fact that there was a Boba Fett film that was going to be directed by Josh Trank. And when he pulled out at the last minute, uh, or they pulled him out or however that happened, no one's really throwing shade exactly in this Mm -hmm. situation, uh, publicly anyway. Um, they they actually it was gonna it, it was going to be revealed at Star Wars Celebration 2014 and but they, he air quotes had a cold right yeah <laughs> and he air quotes wasn't feeling well yeah that's why he couldn't be there yeah uh, but they actually they actually had a teaser made they made a Boba Fett teaser ah. of some kind I mean it was probably all pre rendered just like the Rogue One was yeah yeah but still but yeah but it it, it exists it existed um, it was a thing it could still be a thing mm-hmm. they were ready to do it which is. Not exactly surprising, but I'm I was surprised that they actually had a teaser ready for it at that juncture because mm-hmm. that was because right because right now there's been the question of what comes next and Kennedy has made it sound like they are developing a lot of possibilities, but at this point they're genuinely waiting to gauge the response on Rogue One before making future decisions. Yeah. So um, she actually said, we're planning on sitting down in January since we'll have had The Force Awakens released and now Rogue One and we finished shooting episode eight. We'll have enough information where we can step back a little and say, what are we doing? What do we feel is exciting? And what are some of the things we want to explore? But, you know, had that movie come out, they would have had Rogue One, Boba Fett and Young Han Solo already announced and or released Mm -hmm. at that point. So that's a bit more than... I don't know. It's interesting. It's it's it's. It, I I think we're we're seeing a lot more of the timeline here now. I don't know what she's really you know what her res- level of restraint is, but at the very least, that does definitely apply to what comes after Episode Nine. She was asked what happens then, another trilogy, a cycle of standalones for a while, some kind of new interconnected story maybe, and she said that's a conversation that's going on right now. I have to honestly tell you 
Could we do nothing but standalones? Sure, but I, I don't know. We're looking at all of that. Um, which is, it's interesting. It's an interesting position for them to be in because, you know, I don't, I think they should definitely use n- numeric trilogy films really sparingly. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they ought to all have some sort of visual distinction in, like, the tech that went, like, I like that, you know, the, the prequels have their own look together while the original trilogy has theirs and, and this new one's going to have theirs because they're all coming out within, you know, what, four years of each other, I guess, in total. And I, I, I hope the gap in between 9 and 10, you also have that same feeling, whether that means 10 is being made in virtual reality, because by that point, we all have, you know, <laughs> permanent VR headsets on our heads, you know, 24 hours a day or whatever, you know, like, they should be different. It should be to the point where someone says, and we're making episode 10, and people lose their shit in the biggest way possible because they didn't. they've wanted it for so long. Well, and they didn't yeah. even yep. know for sure it was going to happen. Right, right. Yep. Um, as for the Obi-Wan film, uh, Bresnikin said an interesting thing on the Rebel Force Radio podcast. He said, I've heard rumors that the one reason they haven't moved sooner on Obi-Wan is that they're not done with Obi-Wan quite yet in the saga films. So I wouldn't be surprised to see an Obi-Wan solo film happen beyond episode nine. And that's interesting. It, uh, I mean, it's, we've discussed repeatedly on this show what's happening uh, with Rebels concerning Obi-Wan's legacy, what's happening in the Star Wars comics concerning Obi-Wan's legacy, and especially in the comics, how much ground is covered there, Mm -hmm. how much they're telling that story in another medium. But certainly they could be seeing the fan response to uh, these rumors that either created uh, spontaneously, much like Shimi Skywalker's birth, um, or uh, or pregnancy, rather. But anyway, uh, or... Or they had themselves have seeded these rumors to see what the reaction would be, since mm-hmm. it would be so prequel sensitive. I, I haven't heard one person who's like an Obi Wan movie starring Ewan McGregor. Eh, like pretty much everybody has just been like, yeah, no, that would be great because he was people's favorite part of 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 the entire prequel trilogy. But would mm-hmm. would they shoot their own continuity in the foot? And that's what I'm curious about. But maybe they maybe they already have it figured out. Maybe they've been There's still plenty of empty space there. I mean, he's you know, he's on Tatooine for sure, you know but, <laughs> sixteen goddamn years. Pablo Hidalgo's downright angry dismissal of of Obi Wan seems more than just deflection. Hmm. It does, but it's also weird. I don't know. Like I, you know, I, I'm not even going to try to speculate on, on his particular stance on the Obi-Wan thing because it, it just doesn't seem like the rest of the Lucasfilm family feels that way. Mm. But what we can speculate on is we can speculate on what Bresnikin meant by Obi-Wan not being done with in the saga just yet. But we'll speculate on that behind the blast doors. As for the Han Solo film, we got the announcement that Emilia Clark from Game of Thrones and Terminator Genesis has been cast. And uh, an interesting change to the uh, sort of copy surrounding the Han Solo film is that the official release announcing her inclusion in it uh, very much stated that it's Han and Chewie's adventures. So really, you know, showcasing them as a team now. Mm-hmm. We're, we're starting to get that in there, which I think is important because, you know, Chewbacca's not a dumb animal. He's a character. He's a beloved character. And it would be nice to, to give him, like, more of a character. Yeah. And um, the question is, who is she playing? And we don't know that yet. In the past, we talked about actresses who were being um, looked at for the part, 
that they were all persons of color, implying perhaps that she might actually be Sana Solo um, or Sana Staros from the Star Wars comic. And um, it's still possible that was a consideration. And she might. This might not be a female love interest. This might be a villain. We don't even know. We have yeah. no idea what she's playing. It, it, it could, could be, be an all CG character, for yeah. all we know. It could like, be that those those actors that we that we did hear had been like called back for tests and so on. They could still be in the film. She's a younger Maz Kanata. <laughs> Where's my boyfriend? <laughs> um, Kathleen Kennedy did say something very interesting about the tone of the film in an interview. She said this uh, movie is closer to a heist or western type feel. We've talked about the famous cowboy painter Frederick Remington uh, and those primary colors that are used in his paintings defining the look and feel of the film. Very interesting and makes me more excited for it because that sounds visually quite compelling. Hmm. Yep. Very much so. Now on to episode eight. So let's talk about Snoke. There's, you, you know, his, his hologram, it projected quite big. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe that means he's really, really small. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it means he's a human-sized person and, uh, and he just likes to feel big. Or maybe... Yeah. Emperor did the same thing. Maybe he actually is that big. I know. Well, <laughs> according to MakingStarWars.net, who really do most of the time hit it out the park with the details they get leaked... Um, their sources say that uh, Snoke is going to be, in part, a huge puppet, and is around seven, eight feet tall. That taking several people to operate and a man inside the suit to make him walk. Now, why go through all the trouble of getting Andy Circus all covered in dots to give the performance to then literally go to back to being a puppet? Possibly because of the shitty reviews about how that looked in the film, hmm. uh, and the you know the 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 interest um, from Rain Johnson in probably doubling down on Star Wars renewed efforts towards animatronics and practical effects. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I mean, and this this could be complete bullshit. Someone might have fed them a line. But it's interesting. It's an interesting prospect and certainly a huge challenge for puppeteering that I would love to see someone attempt. But that does mean that all the theory, if that's true, all the theories revolving around Snoke, who he is, and so on and so forth, well, uh, we'll know him when you see the seven to eight foot tall creature. Mm-hmm. Or they could just always pull a switcheroo like that old Star Trek episode where they land there and, they, and literally the puppet they're making is supposed to be a puppet. <laughs> like in the Star Wars film itself, in context, it is a giant puppet <laughs> that he would just like get behind and be like, pay no attention to the Snoke behind the curtain. <laughs> like, Maybe so. I, I don't know. I don't think it's likely, but I think it'd be interesting if they did. <laughs> um, Bresnikan is, is a, a character who's in an interesting situation. You know, he's the he's Lucasfilm's mouthpiece through EW, and from EW he offers Lucasfilm-sanctioned press releases, teasers, and even even his speculation is most likely 100% sanctioned material. Um, During an interview, he mentioned that Rogue One connects directly to many other films in the franchise, which, of course, is no surprise whatsoever because obviously it does. But he made a point of saying that one of the connecting tethers links to Episode 8. And there's an interesting theory here, which I think we should just address and then 
I assume we can unanimously call bullshit on it, so you will have heard our opinion on it. And that is the, the preposterous fucking dumb theory that somehow the heroes of Rogue One go on through some conditioning of some kind to become the Knights of Ren. Yeah. No. No way. Yeah, that's dumb as all hell. Um, <laughs> it, it, in all likelihood, it has something to do with whatever Force lore we pick up in, in uh, on Jeddah. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good that's a good bet, yeah. Yeah, I mean the the Lore Santeca Church of the Force stuff, you know, like it probably is involved with with you know, Jeddah seems, you know, I don't think they go with religious aspects of the Force in two straight movies without the intention of it being some sort of connection in the long run. Yeah. Moving on to books. We got uh the Darth Vader comic ended. I don't know if we actually addressed that on the show yet. It had uh, it it was an interesting run, but it really felt like uh, Kieran Gillen was just he's a fantastic writer, but he was not operating at the quality that I normally like get from from his his works. Um, we did mention I know that we did mention Doctor Afro was getting a solo book that was a recent announcement. Well, that first issue was out. It's written by Gillen, starring a character who I didn't like at all, and I like this book a lot, at least one issue deep. Um, the art's fantastic. Her character's likable all of a sudden. It's got it's basically it's it's got a funky Star Wars story vibe, whereas Darth Vader felt it felt burdened. Burdened by the fact that it was telling stories about Darth Vader as though as though as though you couldn't and that, and tell all the stories story. about Vader, but like weird fucking stories about Vader. <laughs> like they just I don't know. It that yeah, that series is all over the map. A lot of times I just found myself saying, you know, WTF like I didn't know why they were going down this path that said um, there are some points of note towards the Vader series end, which is why I bring it up again uh, and that is the second to last issue which had a bunch of fascinating prequel era flashbacks in mm-hmm. Vader's psyche um, which is worth checking out and oh, it was terrific yeah well Matt, you, you just read it you read it far more recently than I did yeah, actually, uh, finished up the series, the the bo- the last book this morning, and um, yeah, it, it's just honestly one of the best like ways to kind of show the psyche transition from Vader of A New Hope, which presumably is the Vader of you know the entirety of like the Empire's heyday, into the Vader of Empire and Jedi, which is someone that you know while Vader thinks. You know, this obsession with finding Luke is sort of this, uh, he perceives it as like, you know, him going further into the dark side, further, you know, towards accomplishing like the the galaxy he wants to see is actually probably more likely the beginnings of that conflict that Luke talks about that he senses in Jedi, like basically a return of Anakin Skywalker. So it's actually that that issue was great, which was issue 24. And but in issue the overall 25, series was kind of a slog at times. Yeah. Issue 25, um, there's a very strange um, afterword, which I feel needs to be mentioned. And it's not, I, w- I don't deem it a spoiler in the least, which is why I'm going to talk about it here. It's a very strange thing. Um, we see this completely disjointed sequence in which Tusken Raiders build some kind of epitaph of Vader and start worshiping it. It's seemingly unprovoked, except for the fact that Vader loves killing Tusken Raiders, and seemingly always has. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't understand the point of making the epitaph. Like, 
at that juncture of of what happened in the Vader comic, as opposed to like when Anakin Skywalker pulled off the same thing in Attack of the Clones. Like I I don't know very, I mean unless it's just this idea that this avenging spirit seems to come here every you know twenty years or so to wreak havoc on their society or something. I don't know. It's it was very odd. How would they it remember? Nice. How how would they remember Anakin killing them because he killed every single one of them? At least he said so. Well, that's even even this issue says that you know same thing with Vader, but it was like, you know, he killed all of them or did he? And it was basically like one escaped, and tells the tale. Well, and even then it's like, all right, a guy came in with a flashy laser sword, killed literally everyone but me, and now we wait and hope that it never shows up again. Then. What, however many years later, another guy with a flashy laser sword shows up, kills everybody, that must be the same guy. You know, so I, I can understand it if they want to go that route, like the cargo cult sort of thing, you yeah. know? Yeah. I guess the, mm-hmm. que- the question is, does it mean anything? Why did they end the series on that note? Well, something to watch out for, something to, to examine, to just, to just know that this scene is out there and that maybe we're supposed to have placed some kind of meaning in it. And that it concludes the series as opposed to taking... Because the, the actual event takes place after like the first or second issue of Vader. But yeah. they don't tell us about it until the end. Like, I don't know. It's like... It kind of ran counter, I felt, to what was accomplished in issue 24 as far as where Vader's head was at. Obviously, it's not about Vader, but certainly the image that they're trying to present of him. Yeah. It was very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a fan of the Star Wars art books then there may have been a recent shakeup. J.W. Rinsler has done all like all these incredible archival assessments of all the, the different behind-the-scenes pieces of the making of Star Wars and, and done all these behind-the-scenes books. Well, he recently tweeted, I no longer work at Lucasfilm, and I don't know Skywalk- what Skywalker Films uh, planned, and again, The Force Awakens book is delayed indefinitely. That's an interesting piece of drama because he was a major force with Lucasfilm, and uh, and producing these archival books for them. Like he had, um, his his work digging through the archives has been extremely important, and one can only imagine what on earth would have separated the two of them. That's what helped bring some of those outtakes to light for the first time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that um, that classic outtake that everyone loves of the stormtroopers slipping all over themselves, falling through the hole in the. In the door, you know, for from a new hope. Yeah, like J. W. Risner. Yeah, without him, we wouldn't have that. Yeah. And and so I don't know. I don't. I cannot imagine what the hell happened. But but he's out, and um, I don't know if anybody's filling that void or not. Hmm. On to Star Wars Rebels. Hmm. By the time this this episode is out, the final episode of the first half of the third season of Rebels will have been out, and. Uh, Matt's the only one of us who's seen it so far. I read some reviews of it. Let's just say it's super spoiler heavy. But what we can't... Heavy. <laughs> and I can't wait to hear you tell us everything about it, Matt. Um, what we can say is that Gary Whitta, the, um, one of the authors of Rogue One, we knew he had an episode of Rebels. It came out. Shockingly, it had no noticeable Rogue One tie-ins whatsoever. It was just another episode of Rebels. It's actually kind of like and Ru- a very, very overall insignificant one. Yeah, you know, just like I don't think it's it's anything that's going to live on in any sort of way. Which is really surprising. Very, very surprising. Yeah. There was a really good gag with the door. Yeah, like that was that was a a piece of of good, you know, 
slapstick comedy type thing. But like, other than that, it's just wow. I can't believe that that was the the episode. Um, however, there wasn't the episode that followed it called an inside man and that was a pretty phenomenal episode of rebels which mm-hmm. we'll also be talking about behind the blast doors but what i can say is that oh man you want to see thrawn ruthlessness and um some death and destruction and uh it's it's actually kind of shocking what what they pulled off in this episode in some respects so uh it's uh rebels if you're not watching rebels you got to watch rebels there's just some really fantastic stuff happening on that show are you guys ready to Papa Willow for just like a split second here? Oh shit, yes. Okay, okay, so Willow Watch. Willow. Oh boy. Our news for Willow Watch is that we have done our second all Willow Watch episode recording. We interviewed Alan Varney, the guy who wrote the Willow Source book, and we learned some things. Mm-hmm. They're not what we expected to learn, but they're very important things about Willow. And we are editing and assembling that episode and expect it to be out early next year, um, which is to say next month. So, <laughs> so not, not too long to wait. Um, I, I'd spill all of it now, but where's the fun in that? <laughs> Come on, Anthony Bresnikan gets to pretend like he doesn't know shit all the time. It's my <laughs> turn now. <laughs> um, however, there's a little bit of Warwick Davis fun news. We knew that he was in Rogue One, and now we know who he is in Rogue One. It turns out we've actually seen this character quite a bit. He's not a named person yet. Um, a creature on Jeddah firing a blaster. It's actually the first time he's fired a blaster in any of these films. Um and he can be seen in some trailers as well as in the Creature Featurette, um, which we'll link to it. The Creature Featurette is a great uh, little, well, featurette <laughs> um, showcasing a lot of the awesome animatronics they have on set. And uh, Works characters featured pretty heavily in it. He's got some, for a character who seemingly is 100% in the background, it looks like a complicated lot of uh, machinery up in that creature's face. Hmm. Thus ends Willow Watch. Now, in the world of Star Wars video games, Matt, how how is Scarif? Uh, Scarif? <laughs> uh, it's gorgeous. I I will say because of the the nature, like kind of the same thing with with Endor. Endor to me is the the planet in Star Wars that really doesn't does the least as far as like making me feel like I'm on an alien world because the vegetation is just so familiar. Yeah. Um. The nice thing about going to a desert planet is it doesn't have vegetation issues. And same thing with Hoth. You know, obviously Bespin is very alien because, you know, we don't have cities in the clouds yet. And the Death Star is mechanical. But, and also others we didn't really spend a lot of time in. We didn't also spend Gunga. a lot of time on Yavin. Huh? Come on. But, but, but Scarif is clearly the Maldives, <laughs> and which is where I'm pretty sure they filmed it. And so the, the, the trees are not, they're just earth trees. And so there's a lot of earth bushes and trees on the Scarif level that... For some reason, you can't run through like you can on the Endor levels of Battlefront. Like, they're oh, kind of walls. But it's still gorgeous and amazing to see so much going on in the level, which makes me really excited about the Battle of Scarif. I guess that's the positive taken from all of this. Um, and the Shore Troopers do blend in really well. But, yeah, it's huh. it's fun. So it's a neat, neat addition to the Star Wars lore of 
environmental planets, but I have to say possibly the weakest. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that does end the Battlefront, I guess, releases. The, it's it's released. There's an Ultimate Edition that's either out or coming out for Battlefront. Um, Scarif ends it. Or Scarif. Scarif. Scarif ends it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been saying it wrong in my head and out loud for so long. Um, however, details on Battlefront 2 have started to come out. And we'd heard that there was going to be a single-player campaign. And yes, indeed, there is going to be a single-player campaign. Nice. Dice producer Paul Kelson said, Myself as a Star Wars fan, I want story. I want narrative. I want something I can play that immerses me in that world but gives me something to follow and chase. I agree 100%. That's why I didn't buy Battlefront. It looks so pretty, but there's nothing for me there. I don't really care about multiplayer games. Uh, he says the campaign has been locked in and DICE has been learning on the job with its approach to the Rogue One and Death Star DLC. Also, Jay Raymond's Motive Studios was announced to be working with DICE and it's been revealed that their specific role is working on that campaign, which is super interesting because those guys are also working on Visceral Star Wars game. Ooh. Interesting. Um, I... Also, I think they're also learning a lot from battlefield which has had single player campaigns in the past but they weren't considered very good until this current one so i i I think they've learned a lot dice overall so i think um we should be expecting a lot out of the battlefront single player campaign awesome man i can't wait oh it's gonna be so good (sighs) um i don't know what i actually don't know when it's slated for i i don't know if that's out or if i just missed it um i do know visceral's game isn't coming out until 2018 which is a long time to wait. Um, I'll, I'll link to uh, a clip. Uh, Games Radar did a great over-analysis of this really brief clip of a test version of their game uh, that was shown off at E3 this year. And you see a character walking out of Moss Eisley Cantina. And it's during what looks to be a full Imperial occupation of Tatooine, implying that it takes place after New Hope. So... Um, well- I, I actually, I, 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 we may not have talked about this speculation, but now a lot of people think that that's probably Jetta, not Tatooine. And that's due to Gareth Edwards mentioning that Jetta was going to appear in a feature, future piece of Star Wars media that he can't talk about. Well, but, but the thing is that due to um, identifying objects surrounding the doorway, like it, it is definitively the cantina. That's the uh, thing. Like, it has the same pod and, and rubble heap on both sides of the door. Hmm. So I'll like, have to see. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's all gone over in great detail uh, in Games Re- Radar's uh, video that, I'll, that we'll link to. I, I just think that it could also take place before A New Hope, like maybe when the Empire first really landed hard on Tatooine, you know, to sort of shake everyone up, scare everyone. So then when they leave after that, they just leave a smaller you know, sort of, I don't want to say fleet, but squadron behind you know have you seen this clip doug like literally when they first released it like, like a while back it's like i mean they've got they've got two star destroyers like in in the atmosphere right they have nazi style banners like, banners stuff, on yeah. i mean that looks like when um lothal got occupied right but and, but if you but in the, in the films the way luke reacts it's like the empire's been there for forever Hmm. It's not new to him. It's not like the Empire here. How? Why? You know, it's like it's just a fact of life that they're there. And no one's freaking out that there's a a couple of stormtroopers. 
Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Walking through the streets. Hmm. And there's only a handful of them. So it seems to me that Empire probably would have landed and hit hard Blitzkrieg style. And then Tatooine's like, oh, shit, all right, no, no, we give up, just walk right in, no problem, just come on in, come on in. And then afterwards, they pull out, leave behind several squads to patrol the streets, shake things up, and um, remind everyone who's in charge, but that's basically it. Oh, that, that is, I mean, that is entirely possible. That's very, very sound reasoning. Um, so as far as the game, um, the new Visceral game, there's been a couple more details, um, such as... The studio has been tweeting a lot of stuff about the Millennium Falcon and Han Solo and mention of um, scoundrels and so on, like kind of implying there's some kind of Han Solo connection. And it does happen to be coming out the same year as the movie, but they've already said that it's not a film tie-in. Mm-hmm. So, But there might still be some synergy there. Interesting detail to speculate on as you know, time rolls on. We head towards 2018 when all that's actually going to go down. Uh, meanwhile, another quick note is that uh, uh, a very interesting thing is happening. If you're ever curious about or loved the experience of playing Star Wars Galaxies, the first Star Wars MMO, there's a fan group that is launching a server so you can play that experience as though the game was never taken offline. And never changed from when it first premiered, like the v- original vanilla version before uh, Sony uh, decided to try and make it more like WoW. <laughs> Yeah, which is, I mean, this is a very important thing for a lot of people, and lots of people, like, it, it, the game was criticized quite a bit for being, like, rather dull, but it had a level of realism that no one had ever attempted before, mm-hmm. and that realism involved, like, working a virtual job, which I admit, that's not for me, but maybe it's for you, mm. and if you want to play it again, well, the Stella Bellum um, server is launching the same day as Rogue One, and we'll link to where you can get all the information on that on this episode's page. And the big takeaway from that is not that, oh, you have to work a boring job, but rather, you literally do what you want to do. Like if you're like, you know what? Um, I don't want to join the Empire or the Rebels. I just kind of want to be a bounty hunter. Well, then you just go and you just start doing it. And then while you're being a bounty hunter, you go, you know what? I'm tired of being a bounty bounty hunter. I'm gonna retire and be a musician and play in cantinas for money. You can literally do that. 
It's it's the, the freedom to, to move anywhere you want to go and do whatever you want to do. You could even say, all right, I've made a lot of money being a successful uh, musician in a cantina. I'm going to start my own settlement and eventually build it in my own town. And other player characters will start settling in your town and you'll be mayor. Or you could settle another town and convince the mayor he's no good and then you can become mayor. Or you can move into a town and just start making these little villages crop up in the middle of the desert in the middle of places and uh, player characters build things for each other. It's almost like a weird Star Wars commune now that I think about it. It's like, <laughs> but everyone starts helping each other out and you start building things for other people and it's you trade back and forth. And it's, It wasn't exactly my cup of tea either, but um, but it's I think it's interesting that it's all these years later, fans are still so diehard about it. They're starting their own server so i'm i'm interested yeah more power to you guys i think it's yeah. a, a great thing um now we're we're wrapping up our pre-blastors segments here but um first of all like i mentioned earlier state of the empire and all the shows in the nerdy show network are entirely listener supported that means we rely 100 percent on you to make us possible there's a lot of different ways you can contribute such as one-time donations supporting us on patreon or um buying stuff on amazon with Amazon, you just follow our Amazon links, and anything you buy there, anything you add to your cart and purchase, that all contributes different percentages towards us. No extra money to you, but we receive some benefits. So consider turning all your Amazon links into our links or following our links to specific Star Wars items on this episode's page. Meanwhile, over at Patreon, that's a monthly subscription service where you just decide how much money you'd like to give us a month for all of the content that we create for you. And in turn, there's a number of perks you can get, including a lot, and I mean a lot, of State of the Empire extra bonus features and outtakes and stuff. So um, you should do those things. We got links to details on all that stuff over at nerdyshow.com support. Now, Matt, you had an experience at a 7-Eleven not so long ago. <laughs> That's a great way to start a conversation in a story. <laughs> not not just a 7-Eleven, but like a 7-Eleven at like 2 in the morning. Um, I've been very lucky in that I live one block away from a 7-Eleven. And yes, I'm serious about that. I love that 7-Eleven. Um, but right in the middle of the night, I ran into one of my neighbors. And they were mentioning to me how they've been watching while unemployed. He's been watching uh, Force Awakens on TV a lot. And then suddenly he just goes, you know what I realized? That movie is nothing but the original. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, it's definitely, like, it's got its, you know, similarities. And then all of a sudden the, the cashier at 7-Eleven was like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I don't, like, I've really decided I don't like that movie at all. And then all of a sudden, like, the guy at the other end of the 7-Eleven is like, yeah, man, Force Awakens wasn't that good. Like, all of a sudden it became, like, eight people at 2 in the morning in a 7-Eleven talking about how much they don't like the Force Awakens. <laughs> and I would not say that I don't like the Force Awakens. That is not anywhere near that case but i definitely am of the group that likes to criticize that movie for what it failed to do as far as being different but um yeah no it was just a really surreal experience like all these and i can't describe how amazingly diverse the group was of all of us coming together and finding some sort of bond over our feelings over the Force Awakens, and the and your bond was hate. So you know, yeah. <laughs> and this was this was in Los Angeles in a pretty normal like what was a mid mid level part of Los Angeles. There's no there was no high concentration of nerds at that particular no, environment. Not at all. People from all kinds of walks of life, and I was definitely the nerdiest in there. So, 
Well, actually, I am on a Star Wars <laughs> podcast, and we talk about this exact thing. So please uh, tune in here. I got flyers laying them out. And it's, like, it's like, shit, man, just get your Slurpee and leave. <laughs> my, my, my double golf, actually. <laughs> double golf. <laughs> but it, it is an, an interesting uh, phenomenon. The fact that it's, you know, we could all enjoy it and, and like what was new about it and like what was familiar about it, but overall be just feel a little bit icky about how much was like pandering and, and way too similar, too close for comfort mm-hmm. to the original. And just, you know, weird choices like uh, uh, Leia hugging uh, Ray after Han's death instead of Chewie. <laughs> yeah, fuck that. As, 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 as Chewie just goes to walk off to celebrate with the other resistance fighters as if nothing. Maybe happened. it's in uh, Wookiee culture to not, to, you have to mourn alone. Oh, give me a break, I, dude! I don't freaking know. You tell me. No, you you sound you sound like me now, offering you some weird EU explanation for why Chewie doesn't get a medal. <laughs> That's why I'm here, Spill. We'll That's why I'm here. I gotta help make sense <laughs> of this. If, hey, Matt, can, if we ever talk to Carrie Fisher, can you remember to ask her about that? Hey, did you ever think that uh, am I hugging the wrong person in this scene? Because surely she would have yeah. thought I'm hugging the wrong person in this scene. Unless, as people have said, like they're. Ray is uh is a is a solo and that was just, you know, going to go hug my daughter. Yeah. yeah, maybe she felt it. She just knew. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's maybe. force sensitive. Yeah. And Ray's certainly force sensitive. So maybe that maybe they only then did they know. Hmm. Huh? You ever think about that? Well, let's, no. let's, you, let's you only let's... think about yourself <laughs> and your selfish chewy <laughs> why is chewy getting the shit end of the stick when it's really what he wants, whatever. I'm done. I got. I got to bring it. We'll in. talk more about Ray right now because we're gonna open these blast doors. So, if uh, if this is where you leave us, we'll see you later. Uh, we've got all kinds of treats for you behind these blast doors, but uh, I know it's tempting. Mm, come to the dark side. Anyway, we're you gonna open these blast this, doors, don't you? <laughs> open the blast doors. Open the blast doors. Oh, you've succumbed to the temptation. Welcome to the blast doors. Thanks for <laughs> uh, thanks for being here. All right. You know like that creature featurette that I mentioned? Well, it's real good. And there's one scene where this dude is uh, in... We're, we're in, we're in the, the big furry pants. Yeah, the big furry pants for those white white fuzzy dudes who actually show up in um, uh, Dr. Aphra. Uh, interesting inclusion of a species created for Rogue One in this new issue. Um, and But behind him is a full-size model and a bunch of sketches pertaining to a dude with a ventilator on his mouth uh, missing all of his limbs. Looks like he might be floating in a back to tank. Yeah. Now, that's weird. That yeah. doesn't belong in Rogue One because who's the first guest for that? Obviously, it's Darth Vader. Well, Vader is in Rogue One. He is in Rogue One. Uh, Gareth Edwards says he's only briefly in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Um, but geez, I like just, I hope he's just throwing us off. What, that Gareth's throwing us off by saying he's only in it briefly? Yeah. And then again, how do you define briefly? Like, he shows up, like, are we talking, like, brief as in literally 30 seconds? Or briefly, like, there are several scenes of him, each one is about 10 seconds, therefore, overall, like, I mean, think about it. The amount of times you see dinosaurs in the first Jurassic Park is, like, what, 12 minutes? Or uh, mm-hmm. Jin, Jin has a boss fight with him at the end, and that's the only time you see him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. Like, uh, yeah, he's, he's in it really briefly, or it's like, yeah, briefly, like, what, it, 20 minutes straight, and then none at all for the rest of the movie? Like, that's not, that's not a good... <laughs> way of describing but, how but much if we did see him in the film why on earth would we see him in the film at that that's with that level of vulnerability that and that, we still we still don't know there are no other scenes in any of the trailers or tv spots released that that harken back to the first 
teaser where someone in a in a in a robe is kneeling before what looks like a back to tank with red yep. I- imperial uh, uh, guards behind it. What the I fuck? I don't I don't want to speculate on this. I or, I mean I mean I do. We're behind I, the black stories. I don't I don't want this to be the truth. Right. But what if over the course of reshoots that scene is no longer in this movie? I would be relieved. If if there was a scene before where you saw a weak Vader in a in a, in a tube and you saw him all you know emaciated and just like he was whatever, I I Vader needs to be a ridiculously impenetrable threat. Like as soon as you see that glimpse of him, you go, oh, he's only human. They can beat him if they just try hard enough. You know. Well, I mean, I've seen I've like there's been old EU things where like. You know, it's Vader versus like a thousand people, and like, yeah, he's getting his ass handed to him because, like, like not his ass handed to him, but like he's taking damage, but he just keeps coming back, right. and they're just blown off pieces, and then yeah, he has to get healed at the end. Like, I mean, I've seen Vader torn apart in that way before. It's nothing new to me. It didn't make him mo- less of a badass. If anything, it just made him like, holy god, holy shit, this guy doesn't quit. But he's like, not. But, the dark but, side is propelling him to finish off every single person. But, he's but we're not seeing that. We're seeing. An unconscious body floating in a back to tank. You, know, you don't theory. know if it's unconscious. That might be how he chills when. Uh, yeah, sure. That's you know, that's, like, you know, that's his spa trip. That was that was him at the Imperial Spa. Oh, Lord Vader, can nah. I get you a mani pedi? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I think I think you can absolutely filter put him the in margarita tank down through the tube. With, <laughs> if if what he did <laughs> was just tear apart like an entire rebel squadron or something, I think it still maintains his badassness. Uh, which is true. It's just it's it's weird that we would be exposed to the vulnerability of Darth Vader at exactly the time when we sh- he should just absolutely not have that kind of vulnerability. Yeah. That said, um, even though all signs one hundred percent point to it being Vader, I suppose there's still a possibility that it's someone else who, as a casualty of war, becomes a quad amputee. It seems highly unlikely, but. There you go. Or perhaps the possibility that it doesn't pertain to Rogue One at all. It just happens to be in the creature workshop happening simultaneously. That's a huge coincidence, though. It is. I mean, which wh- is why I mention it with just as, as yeah. you know, here's a reason that we might be wrong. Here's an alternative. Yeah. I don't think it's the alternative, but. I think I'm with Spill on this is that it might be something that is deleted. Like it might might have been part of a different uh, entire sequence. Because then again, we never even figured out. Who is the possible person kneeling before the tank? Yeah, that that's that that's a huge like thing. Like, what is that? That whole scene. Like, we, we haven't seen anything else like it, even close to like it. Nope. In, in in any other thing regarding Rogue One at all. And it's the thing that everyone has stopped talking about. Yeah. Like Imperial yeah. guards. Like, there's Imperial guards around the back to tank. Yeah. What the fuck? Like, what we. That would only suggest that the Emperor is there or close by. Or that Vader uses Imperial Guards. But why would he? He's Vader. I don't know. Unless, unless yeah, that was my only thing. It was probably Vader in a back to tank. The Imperial Guards are surrounding the back to tank, protecting it. I mean, that's logical to me. I'm like, what are you going to yeah. do? You going to put TK421 outside the back to tank where Vader's floating in it? No. Uh, maybe a Death Trooper. But maybe, yeah, it's it's hard to say. Now, uh, the character we mentioned earlier that was uh, making an appearance is Grand Admiral Tarkin. 
Like we, Grand Moff Tarkin. Sorry, yes, Grand Moff Tarkin. Grand Moff Thrawn, Grand Moff Tarkin. Grand Moff Tarkin. Your head's still in rebel space, man. Yeah. I get it, though. I get it. <laughs> he, um, we, we talked about them using new technology relating to what they'd done with uh, Michael Douglas in Ant-Man and actually bringing an actor back from the dead in that respect mm. for the first time ever. Um, and we're fairly certain it's happening. There's... In the Anthony Bresican article, he pointed to a TV spot called Breath. Mm-hmm. And in that, you see what appears to be an over-the-shoulder of Grand Moff Tarkin. Um, I mean, I can't imagine it being anybody else. Yeah, and, and, and Catalyst like posited Tarkin and Krennic as being major political rivals to a point that I can't imagine a situation in which Rogue One would not feature that conflict. Hmm. Why, why are they at odds with each other? Uh, it's basically a power struggle over who is in command of the project. Uh, um, Krennic comes from like an engineering background, and he's sort of like special weapons division and everything. And Tarkin himself is just like, I mean, he's always been an administrator. And they're both just currying favor mm-hmm. as far as how they see. You know, they both see the weapon differently, but for the same purpose. Like, you know, they, they, they see it as like the way to really become the most powerful non emperor imperial mm-hmm. you know so they're they're constantly like sabotaging each other's efforts very cleverly and um you know krennic actually manages to like be very um imposing as far as like he's able to withstand tarkin's you know, peter cushing just has a lot more as far as you know uh, an actor you know it's it's just a lot of gravitas to that role and it would be hard for a new imperial to come in and have that sort of thing for audiences but like Krennic, as, as shown in Catalyst, is is able to hold his own, and, and shown in some of the extended scenes and trailers that have shown up in the past week, he seems like just a a monster of a person, mm-hmm. someone yeah. you would in no under no circumstances want to fuck with. And this isn't just, I mean, like really uh, a testament to the actor. Like he's just genuinely portraying this guy in a way that I think, oh my god, this is one of the most serious Imperials we've ever seen on screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what oh, else? Yeah. He's, a, he's, a, he's a true believer. <laughs> what else have we learned from Catalyst? Uh, Catalyst is, is great. It, um, it's, not, it's not very action-packed. Um, it, it's just a very good character piece on, on Galen Urso and Lyra Urso um, as far as just how someone could be conned into like legitimately, like someone who just does not support the military in war, but at the same time can see like the appeal of, of helping this project out. I mean, obviously there's some duplicity involved in that, but it, all those people that have, have kind of speculated that Mads Mikkelsen's Galen Urso character is sort of this, um, you know, scientist that ends up regretting what he does. It's not that he's going to regret it later. He regrets it now. Like he, he's already like, he's kind of, basically it's against his will. So that's what we've kind of learned is, is it's not something that he went in with, with positive feelings about the Death Star. It's that he was tricked into it and basically has no choice. Oh, man. I swear, if they go the route of like, Jin, this message is for you in case you would ever find me. I've left a small exhaust port open just in case. Like, this could completely describe the entire plan of how to blow up the Death Star. It would be a little too... <laughs> like, like, he, like he intentionally designed this quote-unquote flaw. Uh-huh purely to be exploited like this that i don't know that might be a little too much 
Yeah, and the the book did some other weird, uh, like a lot of very interesting things. Like uh, they, they established that there's separatist holdouts that are still fighting post uh, uh, empire, uh, you know, forming. So, you know, there is some idea that there's like you know separatist fleets that obviously aren't you know the droid armies have been shut down, but like you know separatist ships that are still fighting the empire for at least like a year or two after the empire formed, which is kind of cool. Um, how, how does that then work also out? that the, the corporate sector is forming, which was the region of space that Han Solo had his adventures in the old expanded universe, like the very, like after Splinter of the Mind's Eye, after New Hope, like there was no other expanded universe until after Jedi was over. And those were the first books to come out. And they're the super pulpy ones that I hope that the Han Solo movie is like basing itself on. And that sector is forming. So it's a very weird, like tidbit that. It's not just like a mention. It plays into the last third of the book. Which is pretty cool because, I mean, we, we've seen the sequence of ex- expanded universe material teasing the future development of Star Wars like motion picture releases and television releases. So mm-hmm. that it just makes sense. It just straight up makes sense. Yeah, and, and, and it's a very, like, it's the corporate sector is something that hasn't really been talked about heavily since, I mean, the 80s. You know, like, the, it wasn't really a part of the 90s and 2000s expanded universe. It was just, you know, kind of part of yesteryear. So it's a very weird thing that they're reestablishing um, in a big way. And also, Catalyst features a lot of information on, on Kyber crystals. Like, they're definitely living crystals. Ugh. The Jedi sort of bond that they have is very mystical. And it, it, it frustrates Galen Urso that it's something that he can't explain through science. So uh, on that note, what about the, we've seen in a couple previews, him giving a necklace to Jin. Uh, is this well, going to play into anything you think? Uh, possibly. Lyra is, she's very, um, so Galen's wife, Jin's mother, very much a force. Like she, she, respects jedi and kind of like admires them um in a way that's kind of similar to the way they've been describing true in rogue one so i'm i wouldn't be surprised to find out later in life that Jyn or so might be force sensitive and that might be her kyber crystal it's still tiny isn't it for you know it's a little necklace one you know like oh so you mean in this in the in rogue two she's gonna it's gonna be like dark forces two and she's going to have a lightsaber in it. Oh, God. The Kyle Katarn comparisons are never going to end. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I really don't um, know. Like, can't we just have a non-lightsaber? No. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> just a non-lightsaber movie. Like, uh, she's she, she's going to be she's gonna be Luke's first, uh, first apprentice. But older than him. No, I'm sorry. She's a knight of Ren. Too old. She's <laughs> too old to start the training. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's her in the back to tank. <laughs> Vader's like, yes, I want another quad amputee. I want to make a Bride of Frankenstein comparison. George Lucas would love this. Oh, you know, man, he really would have. <laughs> um, hey, so you've been talking about those uh, those Ursos a lot. Um, we got we have an outline for the uh, the first scene of the film, which I'll which I'll share with everyone right now. This comes from the Mexico City screening, where a helpful individual basically posted a summary of everything he saw. 
He said it, it starts with the a long time ago phrase, but then cuts to space, and we see Krennic's ship flying through the rings of a Saturn-like planet, and this is the flashback sequence. It starts basically in sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, he compared it to Guardians of the Galaxy and how we see you know, uh, Star-Lord's origins on Earth and so on. So um, the Urso family is, knows that Krennic is headed towards them. They're trying to escape. Uh, Jin's mom has her hide and gives her a necklace and tells her that the Force will protect her or something along those lines. And uh, then she goes out as um, Krennic and uh, Dad Urso are having it out, Galen Urso. Um, and she uh, makes a stand. She shoots Krennic in the shoulder, but then she gets mowed down. And uh, Galen gets uh, captured, and the Death Troopers go looking for Jen, who is, and I love this part, saved by Saw Gerrera. Hmm. And then the title. A, a friendship that began in Catalyst. What do you awesome. Mean a, a friendship that began in Catalyst. Saw so, so Guerrero with the Ursos. Oh, so they mentioned that before? Like that he, that he knew uh, Galen? Well, they, they, they meet during Catalyst. Oh. Like they have, some, they have a mutual friend, uh, a smuggler, and, and eventually they kind of, as, as Galen Urso is being more kind of forced into the project, like um, they sort of get involved in Saw Gerrera's sort of like one-man fight against the Empire. It's not one man, but he's definitely his own network. That's, I mean, and now we know why Saw has two haircuts in the film. Possible explanation, yeah. Um, so then they went on to not show them exactly what happened next in the movie, but they did show uh, a series of clips including a scene where Cassian is introduced. He's escaping troopers in a big city, which this guy described as being prequel-like. So it might be someplace that we haven't um, actually seen featured heavily or at all in the trailers. Someplace that's more Coruscant-esque, hmm. which would be really cool. Which, by the way, Pablo Hidalgo recently said that they are not done with Coruscant. And why would they be? It's the, it's the seat of the Empire. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was an original George Lucas idea. I mean, he called it Imperial Center, but Coruscant was the name Timothy Zahn gave it, and they, George Lucas decided to keep it for the prequels. Uh, we also see a scene where Jen is rescued from the prison, and they tell her they need her to get in touch with Saw Gerrera. Apparently, Bail Organa is in this scene. Uh, Jen rescues a little girl from explosions and hands her to her mom. And also, they saw an extended version of a scene with the uh, the scene that they've shown a lot now of Chirrut and Baze Malba taking down the stormtroopers. Um, however, what they saw that was extended is Chirrut mentioned that mentioned that he is one of the Wills, which is crazy. Now, Matt, what do you think that means in this context? Um, I think it just means like in this case, like he's some sort of clergy member or something in this church of the force or whatever it is on Jeddah. Um, I gotta say, I don't, I doubt that this was George's original intention with the wills, but if he could hear that and it's true and say that he loved this movie, I'm really encouraged because it's like this movie is actually like attacking like this sort of like internal headcanon that George Lucas had for like the origins of the force and whatnot. And he was satisfied with what they had to say. So, um, yeah, I mean, the Wills, I mean, it's been a, a lot. I mean, prior to the prequels, people thought Wills could have been Yoda's species. Right, because we're this referencing, in case you're not familiar with this term, referencing the Journal of the Wills, which is allegedly the book that Star Wars actually is. And I say book with air quotes. It's 
R2 being the vessel for telling the story a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's a whole right. late 70s George Lucas bunch of mythology that got swept under the rug big time. Yeah, like the, the novelization for A New Hope that was like, you know, written by him but ghost written by somebody else starts with a quote from the Journal of the Wills. So it's like an in-universe tale of some sort. And it would be interesting if Trout is is of the wills and it could be like how there's books of the bible and they're like the book of john or whatever that was not written by him but was written by yeah, like book, book of luke the the john enthusiasts <laughs> mm-hmm. the book of luke book of, book of anakin right <laughs> book of uh r2 r2 uh i believe passages r2 d2 um is there anything else to uh, discuss in, reg- in regards to uh, catalyst matt uh not that screaming to me at the top of my head okay well then uh let's go on to rebels now inside man um we see grand animal thrawn kill a dude it's it's this um he's got some projects going on on lothal and it's weird because we have a couple things revealed here we it's revealed that the the new fulcrum is in fact uh callus which was we highly suspected and which by the way i mean i i'm pretty sure it was on state of the empire but i'm sure before rebels premiered i project i i predicted that callus would eventually defect i think you did i think you did um, well, what tipped it off to you to you in that sense uh it, it was it, when they announced him as a character to me it didn't seem based on the imperial agent from like old republic and that as sort of like an archetype of a star wars character like i just had a feeling that it wasn't going to stay that way i i was with doug when he was watching the antilles extraction for the first time and that's where you hear fulcrum's voice and the fulcrum's scrambled voice like listening to it a second time because the first time i wasn't really like thinking of it in those contexts but listening to it a second time it's clearly the same voice actor as callus yeah yeah so that's that's revealed and then and he he gives the the rebels an edge, but Thrawn lets plans be stolen in an attempt to find out where there's a mole, seemingly either knowing that it's callous or highly suspecting that it's callous. But the plans that he leaks them, some allegedly like secret thing, I was like, oh my gosh, what's it gonna be? Is it gonna be those those uh, those Tie Fighters that they use on Scar- uh, Scarif or something pertaining to Rogue One? Because here we are at the mid season break, right in front of the movie. But it was something I could never have expected. And that was the plans for the TIE Defender, which is mm-hmm. a starship from... What what game did it premiere in, Matt? I, I want to say TIE Fighter. Might have been X-Wing. Definitely was in TIE Fighter. Which, I mean, it's... it's If you've ever seen it, you might think, the fuck is this fan creation? Because it's a TIE Fighter with three wings surrounding it. Basically, Defender being that it's got a lot of uh, cushion before you get to its meaty insides. Yeah, the fact that they actually mentioned that it's the first tie with shields, I'm like, Jesus Christ, that that's right. Like in the old canon, that was that's accurate. <laughs> like it, it was the first tie with shields. And I mean, I think the tie advanced, th- those have shields, but like nobody gets to fly them except like the Inquisitors and Vader. Yeah. But like for like a, a mass-produced starfighter, like that's that was the big deal about them. They are defenders, quote unquote. Yeah. And and what's interesting is that Thrawn leaks those plans on purpose. So it made me wonder, okay, is the Defender real? Is it something they drew up plans for and rejected? And they're just sending them down a, like a wild goose chase for something that's actually not... It's still not canon. It was just an idea. It never got made. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it seems seemingly entirely possible because 
as though the thing that Thrawn was actually developing in there was not leaked to the Rebels, and that that's what he gave them instead. I'm not sure yet. I don't know that we'll know for a while now. But the uh, we we got a the series is going to return January seventh with a two parter called Ghosts of Geonosis, which is uh, fascinating sounding to begin with, especially for uh, f- you know. Well, I mean it, that's that's it's a pre- it's going to be a prequel lore loaded episode, helping uh, helping make all that make sense in the new reality of Star Wars. Um, but before that, the episode Visions and Voices, which none of us have seen but Matt, so. Uh, this this is the next step in the ongoing saga of Darth Maul and Obi Wan squaring off again. What I mean, what, just, what happens? Uh, buy your tickets. This fight's happening. <laughs> um, <laughs> so just just the the, the quick summary because a lot does happen. Um, Ezra starts to hear and see Maul, you know, hallucinating. Um, he sees him like within the rebel base. He's having panic attacks. He he like I mean all kinds of things. And and eventually, um, Kanan takes him to go see Bendu to see what's wrong. Bendu tells him that during the the, hol- the holocron combination, they both received a little bit of what the other was looking for. So you know when Ezra was able to see you know a desert planet with twin suns. And Maul saw nothing but oblivion, which, you know, gives me a little concern. Um, they were actually seeing what the other wanted. Um, and so... Uh, Snoke. <laughs> yeah. So Maul shows up because, like, I guess he learned where the rebel base was based on having some of Ezra's thoughts from the Holocon thing. And they both decide, all right, you know, let's go get this fixed. And so Ezra goes with him. And they go to Dathomir, which is Maul's home planet from Clone Wars. And it's from the old expanded universe. And they twisted what the Night Sisters were and everything else. But it was very prominent in Clone Wars. And I feel bad for anyone who has never seen Clone Wars because there's a lot of history here in the last, like, three seasons of Clone Wars. And what happened to Maul and what happened to Asajj Ventress and, and the Emperor betraying the Night Sisters and Grievous and everything else. It's all over the map. But... Maul convinces Ezra to go under a, basically, let's finish the, you know, we'll do an old Night Sister ceremony with, like, essentially force magic. They're witches. Like, if you want to get an idea, for those that don't know who the Night Sisters are, think of the witch from the Ewok films. <laughs> like, she was a Night Sister. Yeah, I love it. I love her so much. Uh. <laughs> so, they do kind of a weird, you know, witch ceremony, complete their vision, and Ezra vocally identifies that he saw Obi-Wan Kenobi on a desert planet with twin sons. And Maul goes off to go find him. And Ezra sees him because he was looking for... The question he sought was how to defeat the Sith. And he saw Obi-Wan. So he tells Kanan, we need to find Obi-Wan Kenobi before Darth Maul does. Can't wait. Now, uh, yeah. On top of that, which by the way... I just want to bring everyone back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago with Ray Park talking about that promo photo of Maul and Obi-Wan fighting and saying that it was just a promo shot, but saying that it could be a hint of things to come. Yeah. Do you remember this? Do you, yeah. do you, do you think they mo-capped him for this fight? Oh my God, Matt, they mo-capped him for this fight. <sighs> Maybe. Holy shit. 
has Rebels like, or Clone Wars ever mocapped anybody for anything before? No, this, nothing's I, been I, this important. <laughs> <laughs> so, how would Ray Park be be in on this? Like, he has nothing to do with the character other than public appearances. Like, I I, I got to imagine he did something, and 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 Sam Witwer is doing such an amazing job with his voice. I doubt they would replace him. Oh my god! And also, Ray Park never did the voice for him anyway. No, never. So, you know, I, I don't know what's going on there. But, um, you know, there, there's something going on where he, he was obviously aware. Now, on top of that, in Clone Wars, Darth Maul came, like, eventually took Pre Visla, who was the Mandalorian leader that he worked with, like the sort of Mandalorian terrorist. Pre Visla had the Darksaber, which if you guys aren't familiar with, it's, well... I mean, it's been a few things over the course of a long time, or, or you know, a lot of Star Wars expand universe, but it ended up being in Clone Wars a lightsaber that had a black blade that was very ancient and was apparently taken off of an ancient Jedi when a Mandalorian killed him. Darth Maul took that saber after he killed Pre Visla in Clone Wars. That was there on Dathomir, which makes it seem that's where Maul's been hiding out, that he's been keeping, like, basically living in Dathomir, and he has, like, a little lair. And by the end of this, Sabine takes the Darksaber. And they make a very big deal about her knowing what it is and her, like, almost like it's a birthright type thing. And really just brought me back to the sort of Obi-Wan, Duchess, Satine, like, romance that they had going on in Clone Wars, where it seemed like they were former lovers. And then they had to, like, unlike Anakin and Padme, had to stop it. Which is making me think that she might be related to Duchess Satine and or Obi-Wan in some way. Sabine? I know. Sabine. I know. Look, here's the thing. <laughs> I'm not. When it comes to, to, to Star Wars theorizing, I'm totally like not. Okay. Uh, the best way I can put it is it's something that actually I read Pablo Hidalgo retweeted like yesterday, two days ago, something like that. Somebody had said. Star Wars theories and keeping them fun, Star Wars isn't inherently a M. Night Shyamalan-esque twist machine. Right. Like, it's had one crazy twist, and that was it, and it was done. Like, you know, Vader's Luke's father, no one saw it coming because the first movie didn't set up that there was some weird connection we had to figure out. It told us everything about, you know, who Anakin Skywalker was in the first movie. He was, you know, a Jedi Knight. He died. Darth Vader killed him. We moved on. Nobody was projecting in between episodes four and five that there was something weird going on. Now, Pablo Hidalgo retweets that. That means a lot to me. That means that when it comes to Force Awakens, that we're looking too hard into Ray's parentage, we're looking too hard into Snoke. However, to counter that, this is also sort of J.J. Abrams' fault because he did a weird flashback sequence without explanation. At least in A New Hope, Obi-Wan said what happened. He may have lied, but at least he said what happened. Force Awakens doesn't tell you any of it. So we're left with nothing to do but project. And part of that projection of like, or, or you know, guessing and theorizing is looking to other sources like Rebels. So what I see is Rey with a British accent, and Obi-Wan had a lover in Clone Wars, and all of a sudden Sabine... You know, she has some sort of thing with Clan Visla and the Darksaber and that she might be related to Duchess Satine. What if... I hate doing this sort of theorizing. If eventually Sabine and Ezra have a child and it's Rey. 
I've heard worse theories. Yeah, no, I have too. I wouldn't. Um, if, if let me put it this way, if that was the case, I wouldn't be as mad. Like as as if it was like some yeah. of the other things I've heard. Dave, I I, th- I think that's a stretch. Yeah, <laughs> but at well, least it's it, not terrible because it, it would possibly make her a Kenobi as well. Because the other thing is, I it disturbs me when I see that she's Kenobi's daughter. It's like, whoa, yeah. our timelines are way off here because yeah. like Kenobi's way too old by that point for it to be his, his daughter. But if Kenobi unintentionally had or unknowingly had Sabine, I I mean, the dots connect well enough, but there's been such little emphasis placed on all of these other things, and I don't think they're going to risk the major main character of the next major Star Wars trilogy where everyone wants to know who her parents are, and they're like, well, you got to see Star Wars Clone Wars episodes, uh, uh, season three, episode 12 through, you know. From from a... Like a creative person's standpoint, as far as that would mean, if this is true, Ray's parentage can't factor into the story of Force Awakens or of that trilogy at all. Like it just has to be something, you know. Like she had parents, they abandoned her, and that was it. And so far, nothing has indicated that that's the case. You know, like it seems like it's a big deal that her parents left her there. Right. So, yeah, you're right. As of now, I don't think that those dots are going to connect in that way. I think it is going to matter to the story at large. And I don't think it's going to be because, yeah, you got to go watch this arc of Clone Wars and then see how it resolves in this Darth Maul comic in which, you know, he ends up with the Darksaber. And then Sabine finds it at the end, like the midway point of season three of Rebels. And then da 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 da. There's a lot going on. Yeah. But if you wanted to somehow connect Kenobi to. Ray, I think you do have a middle candidate now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daisy Redley said in a recent interview, uh, in regards to the who who her character's parents were, I thought a lot was answered in The Force Awakens. Then after the screening, I went for a drink with my agent and everyone, and we were chatting away, and I realized that oh, in their minds, it's not answered at all. Yeah, which leads sends me back to my original thought uh, after seeing it which was Han and Leia. I I am I'm, I'm going back to my original think, thinking of it's Han and Leia and they simply didn't know that she was alive. Cuz the, the if it, if it is you're like well if it's Han and Leia why did they leave her behind? Great question. I don't know. If it was Luke, why did he leave her behind? I don't know. The only way I can see anyone intentionally leaving her on a planet for that long isolated is if mom and dad didn't know she was alive. How could they not know she was alive? Well, if Han and Leia are her parents and they send her off to train with Ben to go train with crazy Uncle Luke and then shit hits the fan, she survives somehow, whether whether Kylo Ren kills her, thinks he kills her, or maybe just, I don't know, that part's unclear, but if Luke was like, oh shit, she's the only one who's alive, I can't give her back to her parents, I can't send her here, I can't send her there, I have to hide her until the time is right, that's the only explanation I can understand how you know. I, I, I just think her conscience is too clear during the bloodline novel. Yeah, uh, Stephen Peckham on the uh, the Star Wars spoilers Facebook group said, I want to believe she's Han and Leia's, but Bloodlines really co- contradicts that for me because that book yep. is set six years before The Force Awakens. Rey would be too old to be the little girl we'll see- we're seeing dropped off on Jakku. Also, I believe wholeheartedly that the Knights of Ren section of The Force Vision was a glimpse of Episode Eight. 
Eh, yeah, but, you know, age don't mean shit in Star Wars. Look at Obi-Wan on Tatooine. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's... Also, I'm not, you know, there seems to be a lot of... You know, it seems to be a weird consensus that it was Luke that left her there. And I just, I, that doesn't, like, there's yeah. no reason to think that. Uh, yeah, and I, and I really don't know why Luke would have left her there. I think he would have done something better, like maybe just taken her with him. I just, I don't know. There's, the question is, who would leave Rey behind? I don't see Han and Leia leaving Rey behind for any reason, especially if Ben goes crazy and starts killing people. Why would they ever do that? It does, I don't know. Make sense. I mean, I mean, there's been a lot of speculation that once again, you know, they set up a weird mystery, and part of Bloodline has been fixing the sort of weird timeline that we're presented with. Because, like, yeah, Ray's dropped off at a very young age, and six years before Force Awakens, Ben and Luke were okay. Like, it's only you know he's only been gone for six years. Actually, we don't even know how long. I mean, as of six years before Force Awakens, Ben was still kicking around with Luke. So we don't know when when exactly all the the students and whatnot are are dead. Bloodline doesn't even make mention of lots of Jedi. Maybe Luke just he's only been training one person so far. Eh, I mean, I don't know. And who? Okay, sure, maybe the thing was a flash forward. I don't know, but the the only other theory that's out there is that if uh, Ben and Ray are related, like like brother and sister. If he's killing all the Jedi and he gets down to her and she's the last one and he doesn't have it in him to kill his sister, but he can't let Snoke know, Ben would leave her on a planet to die, knowing that he would never come back. Because he doesn't have it in his heart to kill her. He he, he sends her away, tells everyone that she's dead. Snoke's like, oh, you killed your sister. Good job. You know, and like just kind of moves on. So later, yeah. Han Solo comes back into his life and he's like, would you have a problem killing your father, Han Solo? Uh, he means nothing to me. I can do it. So then Han Solo shows up at the same time a girl from Jakku has gone missing. He's like, what girl? Like, he wouldn't even imagine that she would have lived past age 10, you know, let mm-hmm. alone make it all this time. And now this girl is out there. I think there's something to that. But again, I, I didn't read Bloodline, so I don't know how the dates are supposed to match up. Or if she was, if Ray's, if the timeline says Ray was abandoned before Ben turned to the dark side. I don't fucking know. I just... I, and I mean, there's a lot of weird things. Plus, you have to you have to take into account what's happening in the aftermath books, which is in aftermath you find out that the emperor visited Jakku 30 years before. Like, basically, he visited Jakku like uh, during the heyday of the empire with Masa Meda and like a couple other imperial officers, and came across this child who is now the the main bad guy in aftermath. But basically gave him an assignment at some point saying, I need you to stay on Jakku because there's something that's been here for thousands of years and we're looking for it. And it's very important to the Empire. And all of the entire Imperial fleet at the end of the second Aftermath book is currently going to Jakku, basically setting up the battle that, you know, will eventually destroy the Empire completely. But like, what's the significance of this fucking planet? You know, like... And by the way, if you think that this this series is got like the the final book in that series, what finding out what's on Jakku comes out in February, so it's not like it's heavily tied into the next movie. If Luke was supposed to be looking for the first Jedi Temple, could it be that the first one was on Jakku and he's not trying to find it? He's trying to lead bre- breadcrumbs to lead them away from it. Could explain why Lor Santeca is there. 
It really could. It really, really could. Hmm. Um, to the to the bloodline connection, not the not the book, but but Ray's bloodline. Uh, on the same discussion thread on on, on Facebook, uh, Seth J Albano said, "I would like to think she's connected to Kenobi, but I tend to lean towards Palpentine. It would explain a lot." Uh, Sean Peckham replied. Uh, Palpatine is my 10% sure theory. His interest in Jakku very sure. <laughs> in Aftermath is way beyond coincidence, but I just love the idea that the Starkiller base duel would be a symbolic rematch for Vader and Obi-Wan. Eh. So, eh. That's I, I, say I, that. I don't know. I think Rogue One will tell us a lot about how they feel about trying to incorporate prequel mythology into a story. How much they're willing to true true i don't that you know that might be the difference between the writers of rogue one and and you know ryan johnson i don't know how he feels about the prequels gareth edwards strikes me as someone who can appreciate the world building that they did to the point where he's willing to include all these characters in his movie potentially if you know if if all of this is true right um who knows i mean maybe she's same thing maybe she's created you know from the force or some Yes, we, like we, that. we've discussed it before uh i don't know but you know uh we'll, we'll save our bets for uh for before episode eight comes out like the same way we were trying to take bets of whether Chewie would die or not and i'm like you guys are like i don't know is that fur or is that a bush in the background that quick rate i'm like i don't know dude looks like a leather jacket to me i think it's i think it's uh i think it's finn i think finn's there and you're like i don't know looks like brown fur he's chewy you know i don't know and then well guess what happened <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I hate hey, being right all the time. I, <laughs> I, I'm just, I just want to take the, you know, the Michael Eisner outlook to this, which is, I, I don't know, it's a, it's a boot. Fuck it, yeah, fuck it. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's not a spinoff. It's, it's, it's part a, of the, it's part of the continuity. So it's not a spinoff. It's a one-off. No, it's not a one-off because there might be a sequel. It's spinoff, one-off. I don't know. Fuck it. <laughs> it's like it's Rogue One. Yeah, <laughs> and it excites me to know that. When you hear us talking about Star Wars again, we will have seen Rogue One, uh, and Matt may have seen it twice. Uh, you, you bastard. Well, if if uh, I, I'm also seeing it a third time on, on that Sunday, if it's good, what if it breaks your heart? I I have the tickets. Yeah, uh, regardless. Forty X. <laughs> He's gonna cry again. Yo, you you have forty X yeah, tickets. Yeah, yeah. Like Matt, why don't you yep. tell, why don't you tell the folks what you're going to be experiencing this next weekend? Uh, Friday, I'm seeing it at the Chinese Theater IMAX, which is the tallest digital IMAX in the world. It's not the tallest because the 70 millimeter ones are still taller, but largest digital, and it's probably the most amazing sound I've ever heard in a theater. But uh, Saturday, I'm seeing it at the Cinerama Dome, and then Monday, I'm seeing it in 4DX. Damn! Oh, I wish I could go to that. Yeah, and 4DX is is the <laughs> Uber theme park ride version of if you've ever seen a moving seat and it wasn't 40x that's a baby's toy 40x is is the most insane it, you're, you're basically gonna see a two-hour version of star tours <laughs> yeah <laughs> well yeah not just that but i mean when like the atats like step into the water yeah, like it's yeah. they're splashy with water and i'm sure they're they're gonna the force awakens 40x was terrific and i'm expecting the same from this yeah now i don't uh I don't condone seeing 40X uh, on a film you really want to see for the first time. No, but no. as your yeah, third viewing sure. of Ro- of Rogue One, oh yeah, just get well it done, up better yeah. and better each time. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, can't wait to fly with the next wing. 
Well, thanks so much for listening to all this. <laughs> uh, post your theories in the meantime. We'll uh, be commenting on them on the uh, the Star Wars Spoilers Facebook group. And, uh, you know, spread the love. If you dig Star Wars, you got friends who dig Star Wars, be sure to uh, let them know about State of the Empire. What if Ray? what if her parents are Vader and Dr. Aphra? <laughs> Damn it. Just as valid. Just as valid. That's all I'm saying. No, Dr. Aphra faked her death to get away from Darth Vader. He doesn't know, know she exists anymore. I don't know. There could be. I sense a little, little bit of romance still in there somewhere. <laughs> there was never any romance in there. I sense it in there somewhere. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Doug. Bye, I'm Matt. All right, Doug, what's your dumb joke? Where does a wampa keep his money? In a snowbank. Fuck. No. Nope. Oh, nope. Fuck. Nope. Fuck. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs>